hit record. So I'm recording on my end. How about okay, you? Okay, so I hit record and it said I have to ask you. Please ask the host to give you permission. Um, let me think about that. For, okay. <laughs> I I have permission. How, how am I going to tell them? <laughs> you, you have to do something, right? No. Just like you have permission. If I have your permission. You have my permission. I know, but uh, but is it recording? I don't... What does your record button look like? You're listening to The Jack with me, Richard Morris, podcasting from a small town in the Western Netherlands on a quiet canaled street, 8.6 kilometers from the Scheveningen prison, home to former psychiatrist and convicted war criminal, Radovin Karadzic. Today on The Jack, I'm joined via the wonder of the web by actor and shoe designer K.K. Dodds talking to me from her home in Los Angeles. K.K., welcome to The Jack. Hi, thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I wanted, I wanted to begin yeah. with a disclaimer in that our paths have actually crossed in real life uh, way back when in the late 1980s when... Uh, we both worked for Rich Melman at his Bub City Crab Shack and Barbecue in Chicago. Right. And I should say the original uh, Bub City is that one closed in the late 90s and reopened. Um, it reopened? Oh, yeah. It reopened, I think, about 2012 in a huge. What? Yeah, and, oh, I so, had no idea. Yeah. Bigger and better. And they get uh, <laughs> big name bands in there and Snoop Dogg to come in. What? <laughs> Oh my God! You see what I see? had no idea. See what we're missing? See um, what we're missing? Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but you you didn't stay around long, as I recall. You moved out to LA shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was above city for a couple of years, and then yeah, I moved to Los Angeles in '92. I I was an actor in Chicago and um, doing theater you know, and commercials. Um, and then I think, what was it? I, I feel like I booked some spot. Oh, what was it? Oh, no, no, no. Actually, that was later. That was prison break. And that was later. Um, but anyway, yeah, I wanted to do film and television. Right. Um, more than theater. So, of course, I made the track to Los Angeles. But you but you did come home uh, intermittently to do, you did some work at Steppenwolf, I know. Well, I did, but you know what? That was when I, uh, so I went into, I came here to LA at 92, and then I went, uh, and I was here for 11 years, then I went home for four years to Chicago. And in that time, I did some Steppenwolf productions. I did the Steppenwolf production of a with the John Malkovich. Ugh, I can't remember what the name of it was. Um, anyway, that was before I moved out here. I did that like while I was working at Bub City, I think. And um, and then yeah, when I came back later, I did did some more productions there and Prison Break and that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to catch up with you after all these years and talk about movies. Now, I, I majored in playwriting at the theater school at DePaul University, not the smartest career path, and many of my acting major classmates made the exodus out west, and it's been so exciting following their careers over the years. And it's not that I'm eager to rifle through your film and television accomplishments, it's just that your latest gig 
is also something that's very near and dear to my heart. Well, closer to my feet, actually, and we'll get to that. But first, I wanted to mention that one of your first movie credits was in the film Flatliners. Was that actually the first? That was, yeah, yeah. The first. Oh, oh, because I'll tell you why that happened. Um, And it's kind of a fun story. So before I worked at Bub City, I worked at Giordano's. Remember the pizza place? Sure. Okay, so there was the one on Clark Street, and I worked at Giordano's. And there was a payphone in the lobby. And this is how I would call my boyfriend and my boyfriend could call me on the payphone. You know, people, that's how we, we talked to each other back then uh, while we're at work. So I'm waiting tables at Giordano's and I get a call. I guess it's already about like 9.30 PM. And it's my boyfriend, um, D.V. DeVincentis. Do you know who, who D.V. DeVincentis is? Yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah, he just won an Emmy for the O.J. Simpson thing. Oh, right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he's freaking out because he's like, oh my God, you've got to come home right now. You've got to call to uh, uh, audition for the understudy for Speed the Plow and you have to go to Billy Peterson's house tomorrow. And I was like, what? He was more freaked out than I was, you know? And I was like, I'm at work. Like, I, I can't, I'm not going to get home till 11. He said, well, you've got to, well, you've got to, you have to read the play. You have to, like, I haven't done anything. And I don't know why he's calling me on the payphone at the restaurant and not my agent. I don't know how that worked. But anyway, that was a true story. So I had to, I had to go the next morning, hardly reading the play, reading a synopsis of the play. You know, Joel Schumacher was directing this. And where uh, was this? Where was this? Remains Theater. Right. And um, and they, the play was at Wisdom Bridge. But yeah, William Peterson uh, was, you know, playing one of the two lead men. And I had to go to, to Billy's house. And I, of course, I was just like, <sighs> scared. And But I something happens to me when I get scared is that I get kind of chilly, like I get cool. And so it seemed like I really know what I was doing. Anyway, I got it. I got it. So I understudied the part and then I later took it over. And so I did, I did a stint with both uh, Billy Peterson and Gary Cole, who also took over Billy's part when Billy went to go do it in Washington. Anyway, this is to say, that's how I knew Joel Schumacher. And got Joel was directing Flatliners. Right. Hey, did, so, you, did you get to meet Mamet? No. All right. Yeah, no. So, and, you know, he just kind of went with the people that he had known. Like, I was understudying Hope Davis in the, didn't speed the plow. So she and I were both in this Flatliners, and I think it was our first, our first go for both of us. Amazing. So just for for people who may not know, uh, Flatliners starred Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon, uh, William Baldwin. Yeah. And so, I mean, not too shabby uh, for a first film. Right, right. But you you blink and you miss me pretty much. Well, uh, most of the filming, I think, was done in Chicago, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. Now, you were still living there at the time then. Yeah. Right. Um, What was it like or what's your recollection of having worked with those actors who, you know, who, who were, you know, up and coming at the time, right? I guess they were all on the verge of breaking through. Oh, right. Well, I 
you know, my scene was just with, with Billy Baldwin and he was perfectly nice. And uh, we actually kind of hung out a little socially with him too, for some reason. He, uh, I don't know how that was. He just kind of fell into my group of friends and, you know, I would see him once in a while out of the bar. Um, what was what was your scene? What was I, your scene? It was so you know the the, the premise of the show oh. is like you know they they die they come back but they've dragged back you know the the particular demon that they didn't or shadow that they couldn't go overcome. Right. These are and these they, are medical students. Yeah. Right. So uh, and uh, you know something they need to atone for. Oops, sorry. Something they need to atone for that they haven't. Oh, brother, hold on, <laughs> sorry. Um, and Billy's particular thing was woman, womanizing, 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 womanizing. I don't know. And he was engaged to the Hope Davis character, um, but he had all this, he had a big library of videotapes or something that he had made of all these, you know. So, I am the first sort of manifestation that happens to him when he starts to realize what, what's going on. Like, uh, I, as I come up to him and I start to try and pick him up on the street, you know, do I know you? What are you doing, you know? Oh, I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm not picking you up. I, I just picked you out, you know? So I use all the lines on him and it kind of freaks him out. And then he walks into his building and all lined up the stairwell to his apartment or you know, all the different women who are trying to reach out for him and, you know, whatever. So that's, that was the blink and miss me. Right. Hey, did I you- I got really good at the blink and miss me roles. <laughs> did you know that that film was actually nominated for an Academy Award? What? <laughs> it was, it was nominated in 1991 for an Academy Award for best sound effects editing. Really? Yeah, it lost wow, out- Wow, that's big and deep. It lost out to the hunt for Red October. Oh, how do you like that? So little, little trivia there. Oh, be before I forget, did you make any uncredited appearances in your earlier film days? I thought I saw you once in one of those kind of big made-for-Chicago movies, like a Backdraft or a Fugitive type of a film. Mm -mm. Or, am I, or, or am I imagining things? Which is probably. Mm -hmm. uh, I did an old style commercial with Dennis Farina. No, I, I have a recollection of seeing you in a film and it might and it might have been Flatliners or, or one of the others where you're just either walking in or out of a of a building or a, a bar or a restaurant or something like that. On no the street. No. I mean, I don't know. It, it, IMDB has everything. Yeah. So okay. I never did but anything uncredited. As an extra. You know, I mean, I, I've done things that like, you know, student stuff and that kind of, but, right. but nothing, you know. I'll have to do some uh, YouTubing. Now, um, for the next three decades, you appeared in over two dozen films and television series such as Gross Point Blank with John Cusack. Uh, Sister Joan was in that one too. Those are uh, Chicagoans, of course. Or, and Annie too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I said Chicagoans, but I correct myself. I should say Evanstonians to Evanstonians. be geographically correct. Yeah. Um, Soldier with Kurt Russell, a life, uh -huh. less, life Less Ordinary with Holly Hunter. 
being John Malkovich. And Ewan McGregor. Right, Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Uh, the other um, uh, Cusack film, being John Malkovich, which is one of my personal favorites. Yeah. In, you were in the original Spider-Man with Tobey uh, yeah. Maguire, and that's a great film. My son was five at the time. I think came out in 2002. That was his favorite film and his Halloween costume until he was like 20. <laughs> um, and then you had a string of some of the most watched TV shows throughout the 90s and the noughties. NYPD Blue, Sisters, Judging Amy, Chicago Hope, Prison Break. And here's one I didn't know until I started doing some research for this interview. You did some voice work on the Mary Shelley's Frankenhold. Oh yeah, I did which, Moral Oral and Mary Mary Shelley's Frankenhold. Which is absolutely, for anyone who, who hasn't seen that or heard about it, it's absolutely hilarious. It's, um, what do they call that? Stop motion, stop motion uh-huh. animation, but it, it's hilarious. And of course, the nice, the nice Jewish boy that I am. The one episode that I always remember is the Hitler one. Uh-huh. Did you see that one? <laughs> I can't remember it. Hitler. I mean, yeah, I have definitely. Hit- but Hitler, I can't remember Hitler, all of Hitler goes to Doctor Frankenstein and he says, um, he says, Doctor Frankenstein, I have this big problem. I hate Jews. And I want to stop hating them. What can I do? So, so Doctor, so Doctor Frankenstein looks at him and he says, um, "Then why don't you just start liking them?" <laughs> is it crazy? <laughs> I actually, I actually did some voiceover work about twenty years ago. These um, children's the table games um, like Banana Express and Kiki Ricky. I did all these little singy voices. Things that oh, you definitely really? uh, things that you definitely don't want to hear. How did how how did you get involved in the Frankenhole scene? Oh, that's easy. Voiceover stuff. That was my friend Dino Stamatopoulos created both of those shows. Right. And and uh Dino actually, well, we went to Columbia College together along with Donna Folks. Oh I taught there. You I taught ta- at Columbia? I, I taught uh English composition for two. Oh wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I, yeah, I was I was just hanging out in that sloppy theater apartment. So, so Sheldon uh, Sheldon Patinkin years. Sheldon Patinkin. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about you know the actor Scott Adsit. He he was on Thirty Rock. Oh, Third Rock. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he he had gone back for something. They did some you know um, alumni thing, and he came into the third floor and he saw Sheldon and he said, "No one told me Sheldon died." <laughs> um, anyway, um, which is set, you know cancel cancel Sheldon. God bless you. Um, so uh, where was I? Oh, so Dino, who also lives out here, he created those shows and then. Yeah, he just we're he's a very good friend of mine, so he put me in the he put me in them. Right. Now I'm sure you're asked this all the time. It's kind of one of those stock, you know, questions. But if you could pick out just one experience from your years in television and film, one that sticks out in your mind above and beyond all of the others, what would that one experience be? I always love to ask that question. Yeah, yeah. Um gosh. Okay, well, I think, I think it's gotta be, oh God. Well, I'm a little bit torn. I would say the best experience I had was um, Telling Lies in America. 
and that Kevin Bacon was also in that. Um, and we were just in Cleveland, I guess, during the summer for like two and a half weeks. And it was Callista Flockhart and uh, um, Luke Wilson and Kevin Bay. Anyway, it was just really fun. It was really uh, like fun to hang out. We kind of got to know each other. We all uh, had a blast with this kid who was just up and coming. And he was the tutor guy. What's his name? Three names. Uh, uh, yeah. English, Irish, you know, handsome, blue, blue eyes. He's the tutors. Uh, uh. We'll have to look, we'll have to Google that. I know you have to, because at the time um, he was brought there. They wanted to put him in this movie. They just wanted to put him in the movie, which is set in the 1950s. And he was going to play the bully. But it's just because he was really handsome and he had this shoulder length hair and he was kind of Kurt Cobainish, but like Irish and model-esque and, you know, and when they told him, you know, the bully in this story. Jonathan uh, Reese, Jonathan Reese Myers. Jonathan Reese Myers, thank you. <laughs> okay, so this was his, this was going to be his first like American thing and um, everyone was all excited about him. So they were like, okay, we're gonna make him the bully in this, you know? And then when he discovered, because it's 1950s and he was actually playing the bully jock, which that makes no sense. And he's the one, that skinny little Irish punk kid is gonna be the threatening guy to, to Brad Renfro, little sweetheart. Like, no. But anyway, it was really fun because he there was a bit battle about cutting his hair. And he was like, no, no, no. And it went back and forth with the agent. He needed to have a buzz cut. Like, and right. wear a letter slip sweater. You know, it was the fifties. No, 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 he wasn't gonna do it. And every day we'd come to set, it's like, what's the word on the haircut? And they're like, yeah, no, there's no word yet, it's not doing it. So I remember I was working night. We were, we were doing um, uh, one of the Kevin Bacon scenes and Kevin and I were in the trailer and uh, I was like, I, I hear he's coming tonight. I hear he's, he's coming. And he's like, really? He's like, yeah. And uh, he, <laughs> he walked in and he was a neck and face was just covered in hot hives and like rash, just anxiety about cutting this precious hair off <laughs> to be the bully in this movie. So anyway, the movie won. And he did have to cut off his hair. Right. So, I mean, that was, that was a lot of fun. But I would say, uh, you know, that is coupled with um, a movie I did called Deep End of the Ocean with Treat Williams and Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, um, the, the thing is, Treat, well, I watched the movie, the musical Hair, right when um, HBO came on the air. And right. they, they, you know, they would take like two movies and repeat them over and over again. And I was 14. I watched that movie again and again and again. I loved it, loved it. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna be, I'm playing Treat Williams' sister. I'm so right. excited. So um, I, and you know, Treat was just making a comeback with this movie. It was a big deal that he, I mean, it was before One Tree Hill Lane, whatever. Right. Um, and he, so, you know, playing Michelle Pfeiffer's husband, it was a big deal. Uh, Cause he'd kind of been away for a little bit out of the spotlight. And 
when the first day of shooting, when I met him and I told him, you know, I saw hair so many times, I'm just, I am, so, um, this is really cool. And you know what else about that? You know, when we sang that song, we did, and like at first I was like, this is so cool. He's, you know, telling me, but then he just really, he was so happy to relive that movie and those times and a time that was really a vibrant point in his career. Hey, staying, staying with, staying with um, hair for a minute, because it's one of my favorite musicals. Yeah. That if, if memory serves, I actually saw at the 11th Street Theater, which became, um, which became part of Columbia College. Oh, Right. I, I uh, saw my I saw my first musical there, which was Fiddler on the Roof. My grandmother. That's wrote, my favorite. That's my. I'm not really? even sure. That's my favorite musical. <laughs> right. My grandmother worked in that building that that eventually became Columbia College. Wow. And she used to take me to plays at the Eleventh Street Theater. Oh wow. Anyway, I wanted to ask you about going back to Hair. Do you have a favorite musical number in the film? In Hair. In the, in, okay. In the I film, think, more specifically talking about Treat Williams. Uh, well, I mean, the first one that comes to, to mind that, that always like breaks my heart and gives me chills and I can't, is, is the, the woman who comes with the child. And in the sings, park. How can people oh, yeah. be so hard? I mean, oh my God, that woman. And she's, so, she's standing so still. And this voice is booming out. It's so beautiful. See, it's giving me goosebumps even talking about it. Yeah, great but, number. Uh, yes, of course. The, the Treat Williams one is the, on the table. I got life, sister. I got life. Yeah. I think my favorite is um, uh, the road trip. Good morning, oh, yeah. starshine. When they're uh, all singing. That's great. That's I great. I, I, probably, I probably watch that on YouTube three or four times a month. <laughs> yeah, it's one that just uh, doesn't uh, doesn't go away. Yeah, um, I, w I wanted to also. I watch Fiddler on the Roof once a year. Oh right, right. I own it. I I watch it once a year. Yeah, great, fabulous. I wanted to I wanted to go into a, just just very briefly some of the kind of you know personal personal life and things like that. So so I know I know you you've been married twice. Mm -hmm. You've you've done the rock star and the movie star. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wouldn't call Silas a movie star. <laughs> right, so, so, so the Silas we're talking about is Silas Ware Mitchell, um, who played Monroe on the hit series Grimm. Now, he, he also appeared as Haywire on Prison Break for a couple of seasons. Now, you did Prison Break. You mentioned it before. Did, is yeah. that where you guys, did you guys meet on that show? No. Uh, oddly enough, at the time, I had not yet been cast on Prison Break. I was doing a show at Trapdoor in Chicago called America Kafka. Right. Where I was playing the young um, ingenue uh, that America uh, that Kafka had written in America. I mean, they do Trapdoor does a Trap lot. Trapdoor, like, that's right. Trap uh, yeah. Um, so so I was having a blast doing this thing. Now Silas, it turns out, had done this play like a, a year earlier in Los Angeles. So he was in town filming Prison Break and saw that Amara Kafka was playing and he was curious to see and he wanted to see their production. And then he saw me. Right. 
and then he introduced himself to me after the show and yeah, I was God. dressed as a boy and still he liked me. <laughs> now, so so Grimm was yeah. shot on location in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Now, was this before, during, or after your relationship? Or at the same time? Oh, no, no, no. I moved up. We got married in 2009. And then Grimm happened in 2011. All right. So so you did you actually move to Portland? Yeah. All right, because because I I had read that because it was filmed on location there that they moved the entire cast there. Yeah, yeah. The first year we just went back and forth, and then after that, um, yeah, we we got a, a, a house up there. Right. What was that like? I loved it just because it was green and it had rain and it was chilly and it had seasons and and you could walk places and there was you know. You could actually be in a Whole Foods and have one other person in the same aisle. And that that meant a lot to me coming from here, you know, like where it's just, you know, constantly sunny and brown and bleh. so and you don't get to walk and that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. So I really appreciated the environment. Right. So how, how long were you there? Uh, let's see. I guess two years. Oh, right. So you, so you really had an opportunity to kind of settle in and become become yeah. a local, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, we had our spots. I'm speaking to actor, entrepreneur, and shoe designer K.K. Dodds from her home in Los Angeles. On the last episode of The Jack, I spoke with another enterprising woman, Annie Ahmed, who has dedicated her life to learning, education, and music and is currently the singer in the Kolkata, India-based ambient post-rock band, A Dot in the Sky. I mean, you know, every day I, I'm, I, I can remember that today only, that I have this school projects to submit, I have this tuition to take up, I have this to attend, I have a packing to do, you know, it's a lot of mental pieces, you know, hampering your daily life. So that's a quite lack, but not in that way that I don't have a mental piece because there's a lot of work pressure. Every day there are more than three or four work to complete the accomplishment of many work in a single day, 24 hours is quite less in my life. I need 48 hours, I've already mentioned. So that's why, you know, I, I always thought of this uh, being that peace. And now coming to that peace, uh, I always very being very supportive with the term peace, you know. So, so it's not about just mental peace, you know, it's physical peace, it's surroundings, a piece of your surroundings, you know, peace with each other. I, I, I always, you know, believe in that term and I, I, I maintain a lot and always, you know, I think uh, being peace means you should, people say that whenever I talk to you or whenever you smile or you're talking, I've got a lot of, you know, positivity. So this is one kind of, you know, being at peace. So that's why you can, you are able to spread this uh, positivity, what, what, what I think. You can hear the rest of my conversation with Annie Ahmed at The Jack on anchor.fm or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Richard Morris, and this is The Jack, where each week I introduce you to people you should know. Jacks and Jills of all trades, unclassifiable, free-wheeling wayfarers whose nonconformist nature attracts them to a life of 
strangely satisfying escapades that don't always adhere to the norms of contemporary society, don't always go as planned, and even break a few golden rules along the way. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with the dynamic, shoe-loving, L.A.-based K.K. Dodds. All right, um, movies behind. Let's uh, let's let's fast yeah. forward a bit. You're a shoe designer and mm-hmm. owner of K.K. Dodds Shoes in Los Angeles. How in the world did that <laughs> come to be? Why why shoes, K.K.? Okay, well, look, I have been fascinated with shoes um, ever since I was a child. It, it, it's it's really true. And, you know, there's an old photo, like a family photo that where the photographer comes over in the 60s, you know, and he sets up and the, and the dad sits and the daughters are here and someone's on the lap, you know, and it's the family photo. And then they frame it and they put it in their their fancy living room that's not the den, but the living room. And, or, um, or, as, or as we say in Chicago, the front room. The front room. The front room. The front room. I didn't know that. Maybe maybe it's a north side thing, but we used to call it the front room. Like the front room, but said with that kind of Chicago thing. The front, the front room. room. Yeah. Weird. Um, okay, so... Um, and, and, and if you look at the picture, there's my two older sisters and there's me and we all wearing matching little green dresses. And then when you, you look at my face, um, I was crying all morning. Um, and it, you can tell I'm still, I can't even smile for the picture. Um, my nose is bright red and I'm really sad. And then <laughs> I posted on Instagram and I said, look at my face. You want to know why? Look at my shoes. <laughs> and my shoes, I, my sisters were wearing these beautiful pat, black patent leather Mary Janes with um, grosgrain ribbon bow ties, like that tied them matching. And they also had, both had like Chantilly lace tights, like white, you know, lace tights. Me, opaque white tights and like something akin to like fucking Amish uh, farm boy boots circa 1825. No. Like they were the ugliest things, you know. And did you ever, so, did you ever anyway, ask? And then it goes on, huh? Did you ever ask anybody about that? No, I mean it's a thing in the family. Everyone knows like how upset I was about those shoes, and I cried all morning, and I couldn't even smile for the photo. And then after that, it just got more. Um, we got some hand-me-down Mary Jane. So when I finally did get a pair of uh, pat- patent leather Mary Janes, they were hand-me-downs, but they were this amazing color. It was like wasn't navy, but it was almost like a like a blue green, like a deep lake blue green. They were special. Like I'd never seen anything like them, and I loved them. And then my mother noticed that I was starting to grow out of them, and I would curl my toes so that I could stuff my feet. <laughs> I did not want to let them go. So finally, I came home one day, and they were gone, and I was really upset. Anyway, it's just, I can mark my whole life by shoes. And that was my Doc Martin phase. And then I started wearing creepers and then, uh, you know, and then the high tops and then the Nikes and whatever. So, so, so what would, yeah, just one quick question to, yeah. to, in between, what would be the, the KK Dodds shoe of choice? What's your favorite? I mean, mine are, mine are Basswegians. 
That's been the uh-huh. shoe I've worn my whole life. And and Doc Martens, even before they were in style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your shoe? Um, I mean, it's weird because it's been so long. I mean, it's been like, I don't know, what, two years now that I just wear my own shoes. Like I can't really be caught dead not wearing my own sneakers or my own boots or... Right. Um, that said, um, there's a particular kind of Mary Jane-esque clog that a woman named Rachel Comey makes, which I love and obsessed with. Um, there's a, their Italian sneaker brand called Golden Goose that uh, they make ridiculously expensive um, sneakers. Um, but up until I started making my own, and mine are sort of influenced by them, I... Yeah, I love Golden Goose. And um, yeah, and I always love a good Doc Martin. Right. 14 hole. Okay, gotcha. So <laughs> the, the KK Dots shoe story. The shoe story? Yeah, how did that come to be? I know. Okay, so here's the thing. So in Chicago, like as an actress, you know, you have a lot of time. You're not always working. You're not always auditioning, you know. So there's always like, what am I going to do? What else am I going to do? What can, and so I'm always, you know, thinking about half, you know, other projects or side projects or, you know, whatever. And um, with the shoes, I guess, you know, I went through iterations of, of wanting to open a shop in Chicago. Maybe that would be it. But then I was like, I really want to make shoes. And then I found this thing online where you could go in this first summer like a three month stint in Italy and take shoe design. And I was like, well, that sounds great, but I, I couldn't afford it. I didn't know how to do it at that time. Now cut to, I don't know, maybe three years later and uh, I'm in Los Angeles and Silas and I are out to dinner with his mother and stepfather. And I start talking about this, this program in Florence for shoe design and like how I just would love to do it. And, and basically Michael, his stepfather looked at me and he was like, so, so why don't you? I mean, what, do you have the money now? I said, I do. He's like, and what's, why don't you? And I was like, you're right. I'm gonna go. And that was in 2008. And then when I came back, I was like, you know, it's not like you can find shoe factories on the internet. You know, they are old school. Italy is old school too. Like they want to see you. They want to meet you. You know, there's none of this like, you know, talking online and, you know, they want to know who they're dealing with. And um, so I came back and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to even begin this. I can't, like, I don't, I don't know what to do. So I guess the next best thing to just keep going forward with shoes is to work at a shoe store. So there was a, a shop that's still there. Um, in fact, the owner is one of my best friends now. Um, a, sh- a shop here in Los Angeles called Vamp. And I started working there. And then from there, after a couple of years, I thought, well, I'll open a shoe store. Because in LA, there's no, she is the only shoe store for, at, like it's Nordstrom, or it's like the big, the big places are, that's it. 
And then, then we went to the show together in Vegas to look at shoes. And I hadn't, you know, I was just beginning this whole thing. And she turned to me and she said, well, you know, you will be competition. I mean, I know that we're friends and everything, but it will be competition. She's like, well, why don't you design? And I couldn't answer. The only answer I had was I'm scared or I don't know, you know, and that wasn't, that wasn't good enough. And then I realized you're right. That's what I have to do. I have to really, yeah, it's time to really commit to this. And that was, I think 2014. And then I went through crazy. Then I went to university out in the field, basically. A lot of failures, a lot of like craziness, a lot of learning. Um, you know, I got extorted in Naples, you know. Oh, no. got, I mean, you know, uh, there are so many crazy things, you know. Have have you um have you ever heard of the Daniel Day Lewis shoe story? Okay, so I have a story about that. <laughs> Because actually, so, that, uh, that also ties into why I started a bow tie company. Oh, it actually, really? It's actually because of Daniel Day Lewis. Let's hear yours. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, cut back to Florence in, in the summer of 2008, and I'm at school. Um, and then, like the first six weeks, you're you're learning um, technical stuff, computer stuff, how to sketch, and all that stuff. You you make a shoe, and then you sketch what you want to make, and then the the second six weeks you you go through the shoe making process. You sew your pattern, you knit, you understand the glue and all this stuff. The teacher who was was Maestro Angelo, he was teaching that, and he said to me, he was like, "Guarda, guarda, conosci lui," and he's older, and I was like. Yes, that's Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> in the picture with Angel, like he taught him. There's only a couple of, uh, of, of like old school guys in Florence who teach everybody. Right. And when Daniel Day-Lewis was there in probably like the mid 1990s, because he just disappeared for, for five yeah. for five or six years. He actually uh, also studied with uh, Stefano Bamer, who's since passed away. He was, oh. he was only in his 30s when he, when he died. But yeah, uh, he uh, Daniel Day Lewis was in Florence for ten months, yeah, learning the craft. So interesting. Yeah, he studied with my teacher. Yeah. So. Right. So we've we've got now one degree of separation with uh, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> we can play that game. <laughs> and with yeah. Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. And it's a great. It's a great story. It's a great yeah. story. Yeah. So. So I, I, you know, it took me, it took me once I made contact in Italy and started, you know, trying to work with these factories and, you know, learning the ropes of how it works and how it, Italians work and how, how it works. If you're not there, you're not a priority and you will wait around forever. And so you've got to like, I just, I had a lot of, that's why I say university in the field, because I had a lot of lessons to learn. Um, and um, you know, it, it, and it was kind of a magical way that I finally ended up with the people that I ended up with because um, somehow in the travels, I, you know, after, after the, you know, the mess in Naples, then I went to um, Portugal because me and a woman I was working with there got approached by this guy 
from Portugal who was like, you know, I want to get in my father who's, uh, oh God, why am I forgetting the, anyway, um, Carlos Santos, yeah. Carlos Santos makes the, like the most, he's been 50 years in Portugal making high-end men's shoes. So the son of Carlos reached out, said, I want to do this, we can make your shoes. And, and I really think he was just, he was just interested that I was kind of a celebrity to him. You know, I've been in movies and TV and I lived in LA. That carries like a lot of cachet for, for them, you know? Sure, sure. Um, in Italy too, it can't, even though like I have nothing, like I'm a, you know, whatever. Um, and he didn't want to do any work. He just wanted to be fabulous, you know? And, and that was a mess. However, if had I not gone to Portugal, I would not have been at lunch and with his dad and the people who worked with his dad. And I wouldn't have met the most wonderful Italian gentleman named Uberto who lived in Italy. And then uh, in, in the 11th hour, I called him after I was, I, I, had, I had been three years trying to do this, um, actually like in the field, get samples made, get the samples made already, so many failures. So I'm like, all right, look, now I'm getting a divorce. I'm separated, I'm but, and I'm trying, and I still don't, it's like the world is, the walls are falling down. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, no. You, you know, the, the, I'm gonna take this time. I'm gonna, all my shit in storage. I'm gonna get on the, the plane and I'm going to Italy indefinitely until I come back with some motherfucking samples. So <laughs> I, so I went and I stayed there for like, I don't know, two, two, almost three months. And meanwhile, Portugal's wiping out, like just wiping out. And so finally, and we go to these other factories and they are always like the same thing, not enough. You know, you, your numbers are too small. Not enough, not enough, not enough. Right. Um, no one wants to, do, it's a very involved process making a shoe, an assembly line and you, you, you know, it's, it's a lot just if you're gonna do 25 pair of uh, that color. Anyway, so um, I call, I text Huberto because we had a great time in, in Portugal. And I said, Huberto, like I'm leaving in, you know, in like 10 days, right? I'm like, do you, can you help? Do you know any factories? Like, it's what I do, you know, it's what me and my daughter do. So then I landed with them and it was a little bit rocky to get going, but they got, they got my samples made. They got, yeah. So, and then I had friends who had a store, a little storefront at Water Village and decided they didn't want it anymore. And, and sub sublet it to me and I made it into my shop. So what was just going back for a moment to, to time frame from, from your concept until you had a pair of your shoes with your oh, lady. Yeah. What did that take? Um, okay. Let's see. 14, 15, 16, 17. Um, three years. All right. Yeah. I had I had my handmade silk bow ties from concept to in my hand in five and a half months. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know. I'm right. I mean, Should yeah, I'm that way. Yeah. So it took you some time, huh? Yeah. I was also learning. Like there was a lot of stuff I didn't know. There's a lot of stuff I thought, oh, they'll know. I mean, they'll fit 
they'll fix that or you know what I mean they, they, they won't they won't make it exactly I had a what when I went to Portugal and I went to meet the factory and we sat down they were going to show me my samples I literally had them bring in a sample shoe with no buckle with no way to get your foot in it because they didn't right. see the buckle on my sketch you know what I mean so it's like right. yeah. so uh, I mean I'm and, so glad I'm here now but and the relationships are good and maintainable yeah. and yeah, totally. I mean, now Uberto and his daughter, Francesca, uh, we're like family. I mean, she came to stay, you know, six weeks with me here in LA and she helped me and um, I see them when I go and yeah, I go. Now, shops closed until September, if I understand correctly. No, no. I opened today. I All reopened right. today. So uh, I was closed. I was by appointment only for for January, but then I was open for limited hours, and I was going. Right, right. But I closed. I usually close um, for the month of August. Uh, right. Because right. it's so the the street I'm in. If there's no trees. It's so hot. Everyone's gone. You know. It's just. Right. There's no point. And how have these uh, COVID nineteen times changed the way? You that you're doing business? Well, I have a crazy online sale, which is just, you know, basically like 80% off on unselect styles. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, people are really, uh, well, you know what? I had some magic happen. Like I had a mother daughter come in to the shop and kind of freak out and, and just bought like everything. Yeah. Like between them, I think they have 12 pairs of my shoes. Wow. Yeah. Like they're just fans. They're just, and that happens sometimes. Like I'll get people who like get one pair and then they get another and then they get this and you know, like you're becoming a brand ambassador. Sure. When I, uh, when I, I moved out to LA in 1982 and I started working at a, at a place in the Valley called the Shoe Connection, Shoe and Clothing Connection. I don't know if you ever, if you ever stumbled upon that. And, and of course, we had a lot of celebrities. And of course, I was starstruck, you know, whoever came in. And we had uh, um, the entire Bateman family come in. <laughs> the mother, father, Kent, I think he's called, and uh, uh, Jason and Justine. And I, and I waited on Justine and, and, and her British mother. <laughs> so of course, um, yeah, we we had all of those people, and and they would literally have stacks of you know shoes on the counter. Every time right. you'd sell a shoe, you'd, you know, you'd bring it to the counter, and they would just stack up. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, really. I crazy. tell you, I guess I've I've had like so in you know I remember it used to be like this like all I want is a sample. I all I want is just to put, see a sample, put a sample on my foot. And then it would be, all I want is to see my shoe on somebody, you know? And then all I want is to start selling. And then all I want is to see my shoe in the wild. Um, and that was really, that was like hearing your song on the radio, if you're a musician. Sure. I, I was driving down, and this happened recently, you know, it was during COVID, you know, it was like, I don't know, in December, I think. And I was driving down Eagle Rock Boulevard and there was a photographer kind of inching out in the street like this. And I kind of had this 
go around him a little and I look at what he's shooting and there's this blonde girl in this dress like kind of skinny and like and then I look at her feet and I was like oh almost like had to hit the brakes because I was like, I should wear my shoes, I should wear my boots. Um, so that was really, really fun. Did you and stop? Then, huh? Did you stop? No, because as I kept going, the, the next turn I could have come around the back was a street that goes away. Like it, there, I can't, I couldn't have gone around the block. I would have had to gone left around the black, you know, whatever. So I didn't stop. Um, and then my first celebrity to buy my shoes was Ava Mendez. All right. She came into the shop. You remember what? She, do you remember what she bought? Yeah, I do. One of them, uh, it's a pump called Georgie, but uh, it was the gold one, and it's sold out. Uh, very, you know, easy classic low heel pump. And then the other one is called Holiday, and it's a classic kind of high heel Mary Jane in in of, of like a deep lake green patent leather like the one I had <laughs> when I was a child right hey so so what's uh what's hot for the upcoming season what are you what are you going to be showing what is what's the next season are there still seasons in footwear uh, not like not really I mean I think it was really interesting during this past year because there was a lot of backlash about collections and seasons and right. how um, it's just, it it's, it's keeps designers in such a pace that that they can't handle and they can't they don't make money. And the, the retailer really has them in a headlock, you know, of like these collections. And then they have to sign deals that if they don't, you know, if they don't sell them, they can sell them back to them, you know, return them. And like, I just read a lot about this kind of stuff, how, how they want to change this idea of like right, because that's always seasons. been that's always been the you know the kind of the the catalyst of this whole industry i remember when i was in high school i worked you remember tom mccann of course i worked for tom mccann and my grandfather worked at chandler's shoes yeah I used on to love michigan him. and erie for almost 40 years and i remember when the seasons changed i would go to work with him on a saturday you know i was a kid yeah. I'd go to work with them on a Saturday and they would be throwing these shoe boxes everywhere and changing over the seasons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You have to change your seasons, but what we were talking, what I was talking about referring to is like, now there's like, you know, capsule, like, like um, resort wear and then pre-fall and then pre-summer, like it's like a four to five thing now that you're supposed to, not me. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I try and do just classic silhouettes um, and things that I like. And I have to had to sort of keep the blinders on and not look around too much or else I would have never started. What's, never... Your, what's your best seller? Um, gosh. Well, what did I sell? I, I mean, I would say the in boots, the um, I have like a... Um, buff color like a like a beige brighty it's a it's the name of it is brighty and it's the beige one um sells sells really well and so does the the peach boot and the green patent leather so um, boot, so boots and as my opposed sneakers. To people love my sneakers right so what, what would a what would a pair of sneakers set you back 
Well, you know, when I first had these made, it cost me basically a hundred bucks at the factory. Right. So in order to make any money on these, uh, you know, it, it had to be like three something. And I started them that way until I realized like no one is going to buy unless you're golden goose, you know, or, <laughs> you know, Valentino or like, no one's going to buy sneakers that they don't know who it is at that price. So then I just slashed them, you know, and I'm losing money on them, but, um, but I can't uh, next time if I go back in and I do have, you know, new ideas for sneakers, I, I have to get a cheaper factory, you know, right. because otherwise I just, I'm losing money on those, but or or do what we had to do, bring, always bring out a second pair. We had <laughs> we had to bring out a second pair. If the lady said, "I want to try on those Charles Jordan pumps," yeah, we had to bring a second pair. Yeah, and then after that, we had to recommend you know stockings, accessories, right. matching handbag. We had to do it. We had a floor walker, a floor manager. Who actually at, at the at the uh, shoe and clothing connections? That manager was a guy called David Jessam. David Jessam, until a, a couple of years ago, owned David's Shoes in Beverly Hills. I don't know if, if you ever oh, no, I never heard of there. It. He had three or four. He I think had a Westlake Village or Calabasas operation as well. But we wow. had to we had to bring out a second pair. Yeah, I remember that in the from the old uh, department store shoe shopping days. My my store is literally the size of a, like a dressing room, so you can just see everything. Is is it just you in the shop? Um, there only needs to be one person in the shop, but I do have two women who help me in the shop, so they work some day. Like I, you know, Tiara's at the shop right now, and I'm here talking to you. Right, but I imagine you don't call them shoe dogs like we used to do back in the day. Shoe dogs. We were called yeah. We were the we were like the the grunts on the front line. Shoe and dogs. We were called shoe dogs. Wow. Yeah. No, I've never heard of that. <laughs> um, hey, are you are you still pursuing any acting work or voice work? If I do any voice work, um, it would be a matter of Dino calling me up and saying, "Do you want to do this thing?" And I would say, "Yeah, sure, that's fun," but I don't pursue it. But I, but, I, but I get the feeling that what you have done and what you have accomplished has satisfied to some extent. But put it, I mean, for me, I've been, I've been chasing this kind of, you know, dream, you know, rock star fantasy uh, for more than 40 years. Mm -hmm. And I've just released my first single and made my first music video uh, less than a year ago. Oh, that's great. And I'm pushing 60. But for yeah. me... I've never really satisfied. I've never, you know, I've never almost been there. I lived in LA for, for six years. You know, right. we, we were opening up for, you know, the bands that, that did make it, you know, the Chili Peppers and, and all yeah. these bands, but, but you've actually, you've actually lived that. I'm not going to say live the dream because it's too cliche, but you've, right. you've been inside. You, I got a little taste of some things. Yeah. I, 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 I'm fortunate that I, that I got to experience it. And also, um, you know, I just realized that that acting for me was like the classic. Um, I didn't feel seen as a kid, and so I I needed to validate myself, and I needed to be seen. 
and it was it was painful because I didn't think I deserved to be seen. So it was a lot of this like, look at me, look at me, don't look at me in burns, you know. So I was so happy to let that go. And I am such a visual person, you know, creative and color and sparkle and like I, I'm here to make beauty. And that's so much more rewarding to me. So what's going to be the KK Dodds legacy? <laughs> My dog? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have kids. I don't know what I'll leave behind. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I'm really grateful right now. and really thankful that I'm able to keep doing this. And so that's all I like. I'm going to Italy in March and we're going to, we're going to, you know, get moving on the samples for, for the spring and the fall and see if we can't bounce back and, you know, get some production going. And I've got my shop, you know, um, and as, as long as I'm able to, I'll just keep going till I can't. That's the motto. Keep going till I can't. If it turns out that I expand, like I have dreams of, you know, a shop in Chicago, you know, maybe in um, Edgewater, you know, Andersonville, um, maybe, or maybe I would do a shop in, in Florence for half the year during tourist season. Uh, I don't know, you know, but I, I want to do what creatively makes, makes me happy, and this does. Actor, shoe designer, entrepreneur, K.K. Dodds, who has spent the past 30 years gracing stages, cinemas, and TV screens, and who today owns K.K. Dodds Shoes in Los Angeles, where she creates classic shoe designs handcrafted in Italy and worn by discerning footwear aficionados the world round. You've been listening to The Jack with me, Richard Morris. Today's episode was produced by Juanma Guzman in Amsterdam. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your people, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, you can always catch all the latest from me on Instagram, at Richard of All Trades. So until the next time, see you next time on The Jack.